For April 14th, 2014, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 302. Nobody friend zones Leonardo. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From Los Angeles, California, I am Matt Rather. Cowabunga, dudes! I'm here with the panel to discuss Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and uh, the new book, Out Now, available everywhere, Raise Some Shell, by our own Richard Rosenbaum. Richard, thank you for joining us on the podcast tonight. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's great to be here as always. It's, it's, the, uh, it's the bargain with the devil. It's the Faustian bargain uh, you make when you join the staff of Overthinking It. Write a book. You have to do the podcast. Oh, man. It's rough, but I guess this is what I signed up for. Absolutely. Um, you know, we go to war with the turtles we have. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so panel, your question tonight in honor of our uh, discussion of Richard's book and of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, which character in the entire canon of and beyond the canon in the extended universe of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, franchise or franchises in the multiverse dimensions X and beyond, uh, which character is is your favorite uh whether it's your favorite because you like them or because you identify with them um whether it's a turtle or not uh which character do you want to highlight uh for our uh, uh you know for our edification and entertainment tonight first in the alphabet drink it's peter fenzel Hey, you know, I thought the question was going to be which character do you are you personally identify with as yourself? That is a completely uh, acceptable way to interpret it. <laughs> well, that's how I'm going to approach the question because that's how I had formulated my answer. And I was going to say Rasputin the Mad Frog, uh, who is a member. <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember Napoleon Bonafrog, Attila the Frog, and um, uh, Genghis Frog. Genghis Frog uh, had the toy of. Not all of them had toys, but these. These were the punk frogs who were created, I believe, uh, by the Shredder as an imitation of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, in an effort to try to capture whatever je ne sais quoi was allowing them to endlessly defeat him in his endeavors. And, and so, like Rasputin the Mad Frog, I feel like I've been brought up and created with the idea of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles being a dominant thing in my own mind, right? It's something that, that was imparted to me at a young age by people whose uh, motives I don't entirely understand. Um, that is like the pop cultural apparatus. And as I grew up, I find myself you know, imitating their sensibilities in certain ways that I also didn't entirely understand. But also like Rasputin the Mad Frog, who's not in fact mad, uh, I realized along the way that I really actually like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and I'm quite fond of them, which is uh, the big twist in the story of the punk frogs, which is they're, they're raised to be nemesis. Uh, they're raised to be the, uh, the sort of a black spy or bearded Spock to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but turn tail as it were, or, or absorb their tail post-Polywog style <laughs> in order to team up with the Ninja Turtles. Uh, and I believe Rasputin was the first one to come to that conclusion. Um, and also, I like the idea that his name says that he's mad, but it really doesn't have anything to do with his personality. And I also like that he was named because Shredder liked the name. 
uh, and not because of the name that he was going to choose for himself. Because I'm a junior, and I'm named after my father. Well, I'm not a junior. I, I don't use junior in my name. I have a different middle name, but I'm named after my father. Uh, and so in that sense, I also uh, identify with this idea of, like, someone else tried to make me into a thing, but now I'm my own thing, and I'm wearing, boat, like, surf shorts. And it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a frog's life for me. I'm, fa- I'm fascinated by that, by your answer, but also by the fact that you, you have your father's first name but not his middle name. Like, was that a compromise? Or was that, you know, I, I don't mean to, I'm sorry, I don't mean to ask an impertinent question, but I, I guess I have already, so I'll, I'll let it hang awkwardly in the air. I honestly don't know. I assume so. Because my middle name is my mother's father's name. Oh, so I'm assuming it was some sort of compromise, but it was never, I was never like sat down and had it explained to me how I was named the way that I was. For all I know, it was very contentious. For all I know, it involved mutagen and some sort of uh, <laughs> technodromic device deep within the bowels of the earth and or Dimension X. But we, we, have to, yeah, we-, yeah, we have to talk about mutagen because uh, uh, at, your, at your insistence, Pete, or, or your urging, I reviewed today... Uh, Turtles Forever, the, Ooh. I think, 2009 uh, yep. animated film that you described, Pete, as an excellent review of the literature. And indeed it was. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we, should, we should talk about, uh, talk about why that is. But I, in all the turtle properties I was familiar with, it was always described as ooze and not mutagen, which mm. is kind of like, I mean, which is a, uh, you know, I don't know, a Star Trek solution to a turtle problem. But uh, uh, but th- that's enough of that for now. Uh, on to the next in the alphabet. It is Mark Lee. I didn't have a buzz quiz, BuzzFeed quiz to take to give me the answer to this. So I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm grasping the straws a little bit here, you guys, which is why my answer for which part of the Teenage, teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles universe I most identify with is the, um, the cabinet that houses the arcade game. <laughs> you know, I feel like one of the things I mostly supply to the things that I'm involved with is infrastructure, organization, structure, tools, so that other people can accomplish what it is they need to do. You know, so in that way, I feel like I'm the, you know, the the arcade cabinet that supplies the structure, the buttons, the joystick, and whatnot that allows our um, our half shelled heroes to take on the Foot Clan. Um, that's how I feel like tonight. I feel like an arcade cabinet. That's and allows four people to work together. Yeah, exactly, right? Do you ever feel like you have a brain inside your stomach pulling levers and making you walk places? <laughs> <laughs> Honest question. Not really pertinent to this conversation. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess. You know, when I'm really craving, um, I don't know, various junk foods such as pizza, <laughs> um, I feel like there's something in my stomach which is causing me to go in a certain direction, which is the pizza place. <laughs> Cowabunga, dude. <laughs> Uh, Richard Rosenbaum, next in the alphabet. All right. Um, Let's see. I could go really boring, but also awesome in uh, Donatello, who is clearly the best turtle. Ooh, fighting words. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And um, because he's just the best. Everything about him is the best. He's the smart one, but he could still kick your ass. Um, He wears purple, which is a cool color. He's not... He's not afraid to wear purple. Uh, he is, he's just got it all. Everybody, all the other turtles have to go to him when they need some solution that uh, just punching stuff is not going to solve. Or having a bad attitude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or leadership. Or, or surfing. Leader. Yeah, ability. yeah. 
<laughs> there are a variety of talents to pass around, but this is your segment, so uh, you know, by all means, there are talents. You're right. Yeah. But, one of the good things. Uh, one of the good things about the turtles is they let Donatello do his thing, which was one of the reasons he was so successful. They didn't put a lot of pressure on Donatello to eat more, to like be more cowabunga than he was naturally inclined to right. be. That's true. And uh, you know, when you come up against all kinds of aliens and interdimensional beings and mutants and things, you're going to need a, a Donatello solution to that kind of thing. You, you, it's yeah. a good. It's a good thing you've got somebody who can build. Uh, portals and who can uh create antidotes to things and like the rest of the turtles without him would be pretty lost also he hits things with a stick he really does he, hits <laughs> he has things a big with stick, a stick. Yep, that, you know right. that was why i i agree with richard and and he is correct that donatello is the most awesome turtle and he's the the turtle that i uh, loved the most growing up and watching the cartoon on tv um and it was it wasn't just that he was like the smart one and i was a nerdy kid it was the it was also the the staff the bow staff right like yep. which is an awesome weapon and uh i don't know which which i i like um I like the combination of its lethality and its non-threatening appearance. <laughs> right. You know, the fact that it's not like sharp and pointy and, you know, kind of intimidating, uh, uh like the like the the nunchucks or the sai or the katana, it's it's just it could be a broom handle, you know. Yeah, it could a, be anything. It's the simplest. It's the simplest of their weapons. Like it's just a wooden stick, but at the same time it's probably the most versatile. Sure. But how many of your possessions wouldn't be improved by sawing them in half and connecting the two halves with chains? <laughs> <laughs> well, just on, uh, just on my desk here, the computer, the uh, external <laughs> monitor, the hard Innovation. drive. Innovation. <laughs> um, Jordan Stokes, next in the alphabet. I have to say, I'm, I'm really mystified to hear not... Not one, but two of my, you know, respected colleagues say that Donatello is the best Ninja Turtle. Did you not realize that Raphael is cool, but rude? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just, I'm beside myself. (laughs) But honestly, if I'm going to say, I'm going to say which uh, Ninja Turtle character am I most like, I'm going to say uh, Tora the sort of special added content for the home 8-bit Nintendo version of the TMNT arcade game. It was a polar bear through rocks. Respect. Yeah, and appeared in no other other Ninja Turtle property ever. Because I think that that it's... To me, what the Ninja Turtles are, and this is not what they actually are, uh, there's this sort of like weird, phantasmic thing that was really a big part of my life in the 1980s and then vanished without a trace. The fact that there's still Ninja Turtle stuff going on is almost as weird to me as people picking Donatello. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I I like... (laughs) I'm looking at a picture of Tora now, and I just love how he has a, a jacket that only clasps at the bottom so that he bears his his polar bear chest while he's holding rocks up over his head and it's presumably because he wasn't able to get the full shoulder external rotation to hold the boulder over his head when the jacket was closed because of his bear anatomy and his like strangely <laughs> shaped arms yeah, yeah but you gotta wear but you gotta be cool you know you have to wear the <laughs> other jacket you can't just not wear it Oh, no, 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 of course not. Taking off the leather jacket isn't an option, nor his giant right, oversized right. spikes. You know, some of the, the Ninja Turtle 
<laughs> some of the Ninja Turtle bad guys dress sort of like you know nineteen um, eighties fantasies of uh, of what like punk kids dress like because they are punk kids who are mutated. But I think that Taurus deal is that he's an extra dimensional bounty hunter. So you've got to figure that for him, like this this was a very conscious fashion choice. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's, he's from the ice planet Tragaladoon, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so being a, being a giant polar bear guy is not threatening enough. You, need, you have to also make sure to wear leather. Right, right. And just too small, right? You could only right, put right, some right. of the buttons. Sure. So uh, I guess I'm well, – no, I, before I go, I, I want to talk, talk about um, Raphael. What, what do you make of the butt in that – in that preposition, Jordan, right? Like he's cool, but rude, which means that his, his coolness is somehow in spite of his rudeness. And yet I thought that in this sort of view of this kind of jaundiced view of teenagers that, that, uh, you know, that is, is one of the subjects of, of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that like being cool and rude these things are of a piece, but, but no, he is cool, but rude. What do you make of that? You know, I think that the but is not saying that uh, that to be cool makes you less likely to be rude. I think that uh, that cool is listed as a desirable quality, but rude is listed as an undesirable quality, which again is perhaps misjudging the um, you know misjudging the audience of teenagers. But they're sort of inviting you right there to sort of pick your. T- that you are going to identify with and basically model the rest of your life around long after you've stopped watching this show. And if you pick Raphael, then you are picking sort of uh, charisma as your your primary, what was the term, primary requisite from Dungeons and Dragons, the, uh-huh. uh, the trait that you're going to sink all of your good dice rolls into. Uh, but... but- Notice that uh, there's going to be a consequence because alone out of all of the turtles listed, Raphael has a bad aspect to his character. They don't say, you know, Michelangelo is a party dude, but kind of irresponsible and and rather stupid. Um, They don't say that Leonardo leads and is kind of a pill. Uh, But but Raphael is cool, but rude. So, you know, take warning. Uh Yeah. I mean, it's funny because in the cartoon show, that 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 is the song is used for Raphael's rudeness is only very rarely a, a substantial drawback. Of course, like substantial drawbacks also don't come up very often in that show altogether. But in the other properties, <laughs> they needed a real basic writing seminar in that show. <laughs> oh, I loved it so much, though. I loved it so much. Uh, I it's just so it religiously, religiously, oh. far more religiously than I ever did anything religious. <laughs> <laughs> that was the that was the first show where I realized that narratives have structure because I started thinking like, wow. Five minutes before the episode is over, the same sorts of things tend to happen. <laughs> it's the only show I watched religiously enough to like come to that conclusion independently. Um, but yeah, but uh, but in the other sh- in the other properties, Raphael's rudeness alienates him from the other Ninja Turtles, and and right. that is a cause of conflict, of course. Yeah, but. they had to they had to lighten the whole thing up a lot. So <laughs> you know, Raphael being rude is kind of a compromise. From the original version of Raphael is cool, but like has Aspergers. Yeah, well, he's cool, but he might flip out and murder you. Also. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's not not rude. That's a good point. <laughs> I mean, should we? Oh, go ahead. I, sorry, oh, no, that's good. I, I wanna, I wanna just uh, just answer. I the last um, uh, the last video game system that I played. 
uh, with any kind of regularity was the 8-bit Nintendo. Um, because I was never good at video games, and they just sort of fell away uh, as something to do in my life. But we had the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. And I liked when you finally got to the room uh, where April is being held, but, um, but Rocksteady and Bebop are there. And, uh, and Rocksteady, I think, fights you first, and Bebop is guarding April. Uh, so I la- I'm, I'm going to go with Bebop from the 8-bit Nintendo game because he's just standing up there on that little L-shaped, uh, you know, mezzanine um, outside the little door. Uh, do, do you know? Do you remember this this video game and know know what I mean? He's, oh yeah, you're fighting. Uh, yeah. This is like a mini boss fight, and it's on the the first floor. But uh, Bebop is up is up on the um, is up on the brick mezzanine uh, with April, and I like I like that he's just chilling. You know, he's he's <laughs> yeah. holding himself in a state of readiness, but he's not uh, he's not engaging you. He's going to let uh, Rocksteady do that first. So I'm uh, I'm I'm going with my man Bebop. And uh, I'm I'm uh, you know pretty pretty uh, and and like Pete I want to model my life after after that to to kind of not sweat the small stuff you know because <laughs> so- because you know the turtle may not win the mini boss fight right in which case why uh, get my tank top sweaty <laughs> yeah why, why strain the graphics processing unit of that machine which right. was already really maxed out <laughs> right so let, let me jump in with a couple of things here first um, on Wikipedia. Uh, Bebop and Rocksteady, they don't have their own articles. They have just one article for the duo of them. Uh, which <laughs> they're really being, they're, they're individual identities separate and apart from each other. Uh, they're being really sold short here. That's clearly quite unfortunate. Um, can you not was, have a Bebop without a Rocksteady? Right? I hope there was a big argument in like 2006 where they consolidated those two Wikipedia pages. <laughs> and there was like a talk page that just went on for like 15,000 words. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one thing. And the second is, is this the right time to bring up the fact that both Bebop and Rocksteady are um, to varying degrees African influence types of music you know jamaican slash african uh, african-american uh, and what that might mean for say I mean, perhaps on the topic of ninja turtles and identity mark is right? there ever a wrong time to bring that up um that's a good point i guess okay. not so yeah ninja turtles identity we, we talk about that right well i i can't, i i want to get to that but but can we stick a pin in it for just for just a second uh Fine. because i would like to i would like to come back to that but talk to richard first about about his book a little bit so i i richard i feel like we are responsible overthinking it is responsible uh in some small way for the existence of this great tome uh of knowledge um, oh yeah. How yeah. how is that? How is that? Uh, how is this statement I've just made true? <laughs> uh, well, in a way, it's true. No, it it actually is very true. Um, you guys gave me the opportunity to write an article about teenage mutant ninja turtles and identity, and uh, it was a re- it was really fun, and it showed me that I could do it. And when I pitched this book to uh, to this publisher, ECW, that was one of the things that I pointed to them to say, look, this is something that can be written. Proof you of you actually can. Yeah, you can, you can write a book about Ninja Turtles. Um, there's a lot of depth there, and this is a good subject. And they really liked it. Mm-hmm. And so, in a, yeah, in a big way, overthinking it was, uh, was, helped a lot in getting the, the whole book off the ground. 
So your your book is called Raise Some Shell. Uh, it's yep. it's an analysis of things having to do with with Ninja Turtles. It's timely because there is a new Ninja Turtles film uh, coming yep. out. Uh, can can you um, uh, talk a little bit about your your thesis briefly and the kind of argument that you're making or the kind of overview that you're providing in the book? Sure. Um, so the the idea of the book is basically the Ninja Turtles has been as successful as it has because it appeals to something really deep that's going on in our society and has been going on in our society for at least the 30 years that that the property has been around. Um, that the turtles are kind of the the ultimate postmodern superheroes because what they represent and the kind of stories that you can tell with them uh, is a lot about um, hybridity and um, unusual identities in general and uh, unconventional family structure and that kind of thing. So that it, a lot of people today are dealing with hybrid identities in their own life in a way that previous generations didn't really have to deal with so much. And uh, I think that a lot of people who read the comics, watched the TV show, played the video games on at least a subconscious level are really drawn to the kind of characters that Ninja Turtles premise makes possible. Sure. So it's it, you, you think not just the four Ninja Turtles, but but everyone sort of has this has this aspect of intersectionality about their their character. Yeah, I think that most of the characters are hybrids in some way, and a lot of people feel kind of that their own identities are hybridized, especially in the West, especially in probably America. Um, that coming from people whose parents came from all over the world and, uh, you know, divorce becoming more of a thing, mixed families and single parent families and, uh, cross-cultural, like cross-cultural adoption. Right. Exactly. And, you know, and going, just going to school and seeing that maybe everybody around isn't like you. Um, and even the people who aren't like everybody else, aren't like you either. Mm-hmm. So there's, there isn't necessarily, you can't necessarily um, have something, you don't necessarily have anything in common with the kids who don't have anything in common with the normal kids, uh, except that you're different. But that's not really enough. Oh, I, I'm being told at the back channel, this is my moment to chime in about identity. Well, here, here it is. I mean, it seems like Richard has opened the door. Sure. Yeah. It, it, the timing of this actually comes is, is fortuitous in that I just spent the last weekend at an, uh, my alma mater's Asian alumni conference. So we just I spent an entire weekend talking about identity and about being um, part of the other and trying to reconcile yourself. Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Right. So this is something that... Um, is a really obvious part of a struggle if you're an ethnic minority in the United States, right? Of uh, myself being of Asian descent, and um, and I did grow up in a part of the country that uh, had very few Asians, that being Alabama. Um, so I spent my entire life being uh, that other, and when I encountered other others, uh, I, I tried to find ways that they were similar to me, but uh, often failing. Um, and 
Uh, yeah, so in, in a nutshell, I struggle a lot with identity for obvious reasons. But um, what I find most interesting is ways that uh, people who aren't ethnic minorities um, still struggle with that identity and still can find things in the Teenage Mutant, teenage mutant ninja, ninja Turtle story to relate to. I think the aspect of, of families is something that um, that is not necessarily germane to me, but can be really relevant to a lot of other people who uh, who are sort of being brought up in unconventional families. I guess the obvious connection with Ninja Turtles there being that um, Splinter the rat, right, is is yeah. these these strange father to these four uh, four young turtles, and uh, you know has to juggle he has to juggle work and parenting. You know he's he's trying to he's trying to have it all. Yeah, yeah, he's he's the <laughs> so dad. He's the single dad. He's the immigrant, right? Trying to. Uh, trying to establish uh, an identity in his children of the country and the culture that he came from, that he was, you know, thrown out of basically that he had to escape. Um, whereas his kids are kind of more interested in watching TV and, and surfing and eating pizza. See, th- I feel like this conversation is begging to be connected with a pop culture property that's really important to the history of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which is, of course, the X-Men. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, because, you know, in the X-Men, and, and Richard, you've done the research too, but my understanding is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are a parody. Originally, were intended or served as a parody of the X-Men. They were both a parody of the X-Men's kind of simplicity, uh, and also, and the absurdity of its premise, but also its kind of venality and harmlessness. Uh, the Ninja Turtle characters are mutants, uh, but they don't get to live in a nice house in Westchester. They live right. where mutants would be expected to live, which is in the sewers. Mm. Yeah, right. Like they have a mentor, but he's not like a mastermind who you know rolls around in like a in a in a in an imperial wheelchair. He's a rat. That shares their experience, and you know, is all is a foreigner in his own in his own land, and and so the it's a lot messier. Like I feel like the X Men are kind of about the high level socio political, the discourse of power around yeah. you know commonality and plurality and mixing of different ethnicities and backgrounds, and the Ninja Turtles are kind of on the micro level about the messy experience of actually having to live with these things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, it's not just the X Men, but. Uh, a lot of the superhero stuff that was going on, um, especially Daredevil, Frank Miller's Daredevil at the time, uh, that was where a lot of the uh, origin, the ninja stuff came out. And But yeah, and on the other side of, the, of it, um, the X-Men, very, very kind of clean, like you said. Uh, but at the same time, when the Turtles were coming around... In the mid-80s, comics were trying to get a lot more serious. They were trying to get a lot more violent and complex. Um, And Ninja Turtles was... While the creators of Ninja Turtles were really fond of this kind of stuff, they loved Frank Miller, you know? and But they also loved the kind of Jack Kirby earlier stuff that's relatively, relatively simpler. Um... Yeah, the turtles don't have any societal power, right? They don't have any money, like you said. They don't have any. They can't. They don't live in a big mansion in in Westchester. They live in the sewers. They don't have the ability at all to enact political change. Whereas the 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 X Men, yeah, they fight the the evil mutants, 
but they also kind of have representation in Congress. You know, like they, <laughs> Professor yeah. X can go and and address the Senate on mutant rights, and this is a, a political issue in the world of the X Men. Whereas in the world of the Ninja Turtles, there's really nothing they can do. They're trying to be left alone, and they have a moral conscience that they have to stick with. Um, but there isn't really any hope that they can do anything to make themselves more accepted in the world. Yeah, right. they might be able to beat up the Shredder, but they cannot like they can't pass. A lot of the X Men can pass. They could like not right. be mutants Absolutely. if they wanted to. Whereas yep, uh, exactly. the, the the Ninja Turtles, I was thinking of answering answering the question before Mark sort of trumped me by taking an inanimate object by being the Turtle Van because mm. I think that the Turtle <laughs> the Van is wagon. interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting interesting uh, vehicle choice. Um, there's a big difference between the Batmobile when you're actually Bruce Wayne and the Turtle Van when you are just going to be a ninja turtle right well what is the difference what is the difference jordan that I, well, I think that it's just like the difference between a sedan and a van. That a van is kind of <laughs> letting it all hang out in a certain way. It's not even a like a station wagon or a minivan, right? It's a sliding door van. It's also kind of hilariously the car that looks the most like a turtle <laughs> to the degree that a car can look like a turtle. Um, <laughs> so they're 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 branding themselves very very aggressively, but they don't have the option of not branding themselves that aggressively, right? Like right, they you know, are what they are. They can't hide. They don't have secret identities yeah Yeah. their their identity is a secret right exactly yeah but it's interesting i mean there's the scope of the ninja turtles changes over the course of the evolution of the franchise and the various creative energies that have behind it and the various different purposes that it's served and the scope of it changes and i guess the level of humor changes and the level of violence definitely changes because the turtles started they were super violent oh yeah Um, yeah yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, but I remember thinking, like, the first Ninja Turtles movie is a movie that you wouldn't make today for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is that the Foot Clan's main objective, like the evil ninja's main objective in the first Ninja Turtles movie, is the stealing of consumer electronic goods from people living in New York City. Right? Like, like they're just like, like the opening thing is like, there's a wave of crime, and they yep. show, like, a bunch of ninjas, like, stealing a television. Right? Yep. It's like, and, like, this is not the kind of problem that Congress is going to involve itself in necessarily. <laughs> Um, and yeah, well, this is before you know, Giuliani. The, the, yeah. <laughs> yeah to, to, I was, I was, no, I was about to say that um, in a time in New York City, from my understanding of my home, of my adopted home city's past of its history, is that like, you know, the uh, wanton theft of consumer electronic goods such as televisions and stereos was very emblematic of the general sense of lawlessness that pervaded New York City. Right. I mean, that was sort of a, 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 a safer thing to present rather than the horrific murders and things like that were and crack cocaine that were going on in New York. But, uh, you know, in my mind, that you know, theft of electronic equipment is a stand in for uh, murder and, and drugs that were a huge problem in New York City. Yeah. I mean, there's also other comic book standards for murder and drugs being huge things in New York City, like Carnage, although that's a little bit later on. Uh, but like, you know, Carnage in the Spider-Man books about this sort of yeah. madness of the city. And, uh, but yeah, yeah but yeah, it they, is also – what's it? Which they also did in Ghostbusters 2, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The Ghostbusters 2 problem is yeah. really what we're talking about, which is, uh, yeah, the general malaise and negativity of the, of the time period. Although in the Ghostbusters 2 is also a little bit later. I guess it's all economically cyclical is what we're saying. And the, and the uh, Ninja Turtles aren't interested in shifting – aren't like changing monetary policy to make the economic cycles like less dis- dire. They are right. you know, merely catching the people who steal the televisions. Um, huh. Right. Also, it's personal for them, right? They're not just doing it – 
because you know it's bad to steal televisions mm. but they have a personal investment in making sure that shredder and the foot don't take over new york city mm. right sure and it's it's not even really about new york right what's the what's the line from brick right where uh, where he goes to richard roundtree and is like I, I did it to see him eaten not to see you fed that really it's revenge for them right yeah yeah absolutely well i mean in the original comic the very first issue uh splinter says Okay, go find the Shredder and kill him. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. They're not. Rea- they're not reacting to anything. Shredder and the right. Foot Clan have been in the city for a long time doing their thing. Um, now Splinter says, "This is what I raised you for. Go and kill the Shredder." Which is a lot more true to like the the ninja aspect of ninja, I suppose, than most yeah, pop absolutely. culture ninjas. Good. I, I was hoping we would get around to this eventually. So, what, what do you mean by that, Jordan? That, uh, as I understand it, which is from having read two-thirds of James Clavell's Shogun, uh, the ninjas were <laughs> assassins, right? So what, you, what you're saying is that you're the world's expert on, on this topic. <laughs> I think that having written the book that he's written, uh, Richard is the world's expert on this, but I am the second expert. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, I've only read the last third of Shogun. <laughs> <laughs> Our powers Guys, combined. I sold my hair to buy you a watch fob. It's yeah. <laughs> if only there was a way that the two of us could like bathe in some kind of ooze and combine into <laughs> and one combine person. our powers, yeah. <laughs> Hybridize, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's true. I mean, the Ninja Turtles are also really unconventional ninjas because they do hold to an honor code, which ninjas are not really supposed to do. <laughs> um, it's interesting. Like Even in that first issue... They go out to murder the Shredder, but they don't, like, sneak up behind him. You know, they, they uh, invite him out into open combat. And when, when it's clear that they've defeated him, they give him a way out, right? They, they tell him, okay, here, you know, Leonardo gives him his sword. He says, now you can commit seppuku, you know, you can kill yourself and, and get out of this with some honor. And, of course... Shredder doesn't doesn't go for it because he is without honor, as we all know. <laughs> but it's interesting, right? Because ninjas, right, they're supposed to be assassins. They're hired swords. They're they're not the honorable samurai. Uh, but at the same time, they have absorbed this. Like the, the, that kind of honor code is something that Splinter taught them. And that's part of their kind of like foreign cultural identity, right? Is this honor, yeah. which is not a particularly American thing. It's it's presented exactly. as a sort of yeah, exactly. Not at all. It's an it's a, an an ancient and far away code um, that you'd think watching a lot of television would disabuse them of, but it doesn't. Well, sure, because what's on television is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles show, right? That's <laughs> well, <laughs> how so I learned about honor. I'm confused, <laughs> well, exactly. though. Because isn't isn't the mythology that um, the reason they're mad at Shredder is because the rat was the pet rat of a guy that Shredder killed? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yes. And then why is it that the rat knows to teach them the art of of ninjutsu, and why does he name them after Renaissance artists? Well, um, that's a really good question. <laughs> Glad you asked. So it's- yeah, it's, it was either it's, going to be good or thing in the really movie bad. Where he kicks and punches. With the yeah, thing. it's true. It's 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 pretty adorable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, they don't explain it very well. Why this regular rat was so good at 
learning ninja, you know, ninja moves just by watching his master do them for all all this time. Um, but like if there's if there was going to be a culture, a foreign culture that was going to be instilled in these turtles, it would be like the ancient art of being a rat, right? Like one right. of them would know how to, to chew through steel, and one would know how to like <laughs> you know eat eat a lot of garbage, and one would know how to cook yeah, really well. Yeah, yeah. One well, would, in would later, drive a in, <laughs> well, in later adaptations, like in the in the cartoon, um, they realized that it didn't make a lot of sense, and they changed it to Splinter having originally been human. Having originally oh. been that ninja master, that makes so much uh, more sense. <laughs> it, 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 I feel like yeah, it's that, a, that's it does a huge sense, difference but... in in the shows. That's like a huge in the in the different properties, right? Like, oh yeah, this, yeah. Splinter as a human is like a fundamentally different story than Splinter as a rat. Yeah, um, absolutely, definitely. And like, I feel like Splinter as a human to like to hook into the other axis because we've talked a lot about the original comic, but we all know that everybody, the people out there who love the Ninja Turtles, most of them haven't read the original comic. I mean, I've yeah, done it, true. you've done it, right? Everybody knows the Ninja Turtles as rotating around this kind of double axis. One of the axes is like the conflict between Hamato Yoshi and Rokusaki slash Rokunagi, you know, the right. sort of Japanese honor code thing. There was a woman, there wasn't a woman. Splinter was a guy, Splinter was a rat, whatever. And then the other axis is, of course, the megalomaniacal tendencies of Lord Crank from Dimension X, who I believe yep. deserves like round mention at this point. <laughs> as, and, and also, and really, it's about the friendship. I feel like Turtles Forever that Matt watched um, it really and, captures and, and you, I think, right? And oh, oh I have, watched it. Oh, anyone else watched. pick up uh, Turtles Forever this week? Was this the crossover old Ninja Turtles and new Ninja Turtles? Yep, that cartoon? was it. Oh, yeah, I saw clips of it uh, a few months ago when it's uh, so yeah. great. <laughs> but it's not only. I mean, it's not only that. Like a. Spoiler alert for Turtles Forever. <laughs> the, the straight to video, straight to DVD, TV animated movie from 2009. Yes, yeah, and yep. it, you can find it on YouTube. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna link to it, which because if we do that, it will just hasten the taking down of it, which is inevitable. But, um, but uh, uh, can be forestalled. Um, th- there is a a multi dimensional. Uh, Sort of tilt a whirl uh, ride in the in, <laughs> in the middle of uh, in the middle of Turtles Forever, and it, in it you see a slideshow, sort of referred to by the turtles later as a slideshow of all the different turtle properties, uh, with all the the slightly different um, renderings of the turtles, including one like photograph or film still or yep. you know frame grab from the uh, from the live action films. Um, and it, it really like it, it creates a grand unified theory of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which is that all of these different, uh, expressions of the franchise are actually in different dimensions, um, sort of branching off of Turtle Prime, which, uh, is a, a version of the original comics. So it's, it's a, uh, you know, it's a, um, it's a sort of, uh, uh, well, as I say, a sort of grand, grand unified theory, a sort of turtle multiverse. Um, and they really, like, like I said, Star Trek solution to turtle problem before, but like it, it really gets, you know, with the, the technology and stuff, it really gets, uh, gets into that. But what struck me about it was that each, um, each, uh, incarnation of the turtles, uh, has an affinity with, one of the turtles' personalities, right? And as they jump into the various dimensions uh, from each foursome, um, because they, they different ones team up, uh, they 
have have an affinity with the new dimension that they're they're jumping into, right? So uh, uh, Michelangelo likes the um, TV cartoon turtles, the the ones with the round faces who show up in the new turtles universe, uh, right. and you know, and he he likes them because he is sort of they they are an expression of his personality and when they go back to the extraordinarily gritty uh first um uh first incarnation of the turtles oh i forget who who it was uh who likes that Raphael maybe that was raf yeah, yeah that with was, his Raphael says that he wants to retire there yeah and it's, it's <laughs> and the, the, the so cool the grittiness yeah. appeals to him you know yeah except that the original turtles call the new turtles sellouts for having different colored headbands and yeah and and having their their initials right as a belt buckle on well yeah there. so rafael says to 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 um defend himself he says hey but look at these guys they've got initials on their belt buckles yeah <laughs> he yeah, really so wants right. to impress them so, um, so there, are, there are two cartoons versions just to clarify there's the 1987 cartoon and a 2003 cartoon mm-hmm. that are both in this movie okay cool i just wanted to get that out there right yep the 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 round heads and the square heads, uh, <laughs> yeah. if you will, yeah. But it, it's I mean it strikes me that when you do a typology of of personalities, right? Which the turtles are, which the factions from uh, Divergent are, which the you know whenever you sort of systematize different personality traits into these you know uh, into these sort of reified central. Uh, sorry, separate um, uh, people or or groups, you know, um, you're making claims about what the sort of important distinctions in in different people are, right? And the, the Turtles Forever movie, for me, was interesting because it goes so far as to say that different incarnations of the same property, different remakes, different retellings of the same story... Um, are of a piece, like sort of express the same typology as the four turtles do in carving up personality traits, uh, that these are the important distinctions that you make, right? Like sort of grittiness or, or rudeness or, or capacity for violence is one, um, you know, amiability is another, uh, leadership is another. And, you know, uh, what Aristotle called techne is, is another, Right, like uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really called techne, doing machines. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's really interesting. Actually, I wonder if we could uh, kind of chart the adaptations um, on that, uh, based on kind of the what's going on in society, what kind of entertainments uh, are happening around the Ninja Turtles at the time. You know, we have now we have the new 2012. Uh, version mm-hmm. which is cgi and which is actually really really good um and i wonder if we could uh if we can make that same comparison yeah what would you like to <laughs> we get to it right now no, I, 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 I would I, if it would work and if it doesn't work then i would like to edit that part out yeah <laughs> 
I caution well, you. Well, that was fun, guys. <laughs> and there it is. There's Pete <laughs> pooping on the idea. And I want to I wanna say why he's doing it. I, I have tried to make this sort of point, Richard, before on the Overthinking It podcast, that like such and such an entertainment is uh, responding to a particular movement in the culture of our time. And Pete uh, has a habit of pointing out how this was um, – uh, how this particular movement, and it's a movement, all right, um, <laughs> that, uh, that, you know, when you have a movement in the culture, the culture has always been having that movement. And there never was a time when that movement was not prevalent, uh, in, prevalent in the culture, right? And um, so I, I uh, you know, I caution you against doing it when... when oh, <laughs> I, don't I, I don't know. I, I, no, look, no, I'm going to go not, on a list here. Guys, I'm going to go on a limb here. The Bush era, definitely rudeness, right? That's totally <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, right? Am I right? Are we, are we ready for a new Donatello-centric Ninja Turtles as the country becomes more technocratic? <laughs> well, well, I think that that what that's the... what we've got, actually. Oh, okay. No, I oh, think yeah. our, our country has gone quite in the Krang direction, is it not? <laughs> <laughs> well, what about the period of time where there was the girl turtle who used magic? No, she's not real. I don't <laughs> care what... No, 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 wait, no, wait, no, wait, no, there was a girl to there was a girl toodle that used yeah. magic? There was yeah, the, did, did the other turtles have a crush on her? <laughs> uh, it didn't get that far um, because <laughs> everybody true. hated that show so much. Yeah. Well, I was kind of thinking about this, that we were talking about the turtles as a typology of personality, right? And you have all of these different guy personalities in, in the turtles and in their hangers-on and their enemies, and then you have April O'Neil, and yeah. that seems to be, like, it, right? And I can't think that she changes particularly between the different iterations of turtleness, you know? Like, there's not one where she is actually a dark and gritty reporter who Stephen Glass-like is making up all of her stories and the Ninja Turtles <laughs> don't actually exist, right? Well, I mean, in, the original, in the original comic, she wasn't a reporter at all. She was a computer programmer who worked for Baxter Stockman. Huh. Yeah. yeah. She does change a fair amount. But she changes so does, quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so did the Venus. I want to talk about the Venus character for a little bit, just because you guys don't seem to believe that she existed. And she's been this. <laughs> I just refuse to believe that she existed. That's all. <laughs> well, okay. So she's the, she, she's an interesting character because she's a character that it seems like multiple people feel like the Ninja Turtles should have, but they keep changing how she exists because none of them seem to work. So like the first Venus that I'm aware of, the first character named Venus de Milo, that's the name this character has in her various incarnations, um, appears in the animated series as like a, an agu- as like a salamander or a newt or a lizard of some kind yeah well actually um her, that was mona lisa oh mona lisa oh but it's the same mona principle lisa. yeah uh see I, I connect mona lisa and venus de milo perhaps yeah. also interesting that the women are paintings and the men are painters that is uh, interesting yeah yeah definitely but yeah you're right you're right so so mona lisa who i think is a much more interesting character uh oh, who yeah. is a, She's a, a solitary uh, amphibian or reptile of some kind, and yep. Raphael and her strike up like a romantic friendship on a cruise ship that's under threat of terrorist attack or something. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That was one of my favorite episodes of that show. I, I had that. It was a good episode. Chance. It was, despite the fact that she never returned. Everybody yep. remembers her because she was a pretty 
engaging character, actually. Yeah. I mean, she was actually solitary, whereas Raphael only wanted to be solitary, right? Like, Raphael felt solitary, and she was actually solitary, and there was an interesting character dynamic between the two of them. But then Venus de Milo, who shows up in the Ninja Turtles The Next Mutation, which is the live-action sort of puppety show that came out in, like, the late 90s, and was only around for a year, right? Right, yeah. And she had had the power of mystical orbs, um, which is kind of offensive for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. And she also had turtle boobs, which is also offensive for right <laughs> yeah um for but yeah it was just such a transparent reasons. attempt to try to make the turtles like fit to check off more check boxes yeah which is absolutely. never really what the turtles were about except unless you were talking about like mammals and they wanted to have like all the mammals and, like let's have a pig <laughs> let's have a rhino let's have a bear a polar bear yeah well, i don't yeah, know well, i mean no go on you're you're the expert <laughs> oh <laughs> well i mean what they were trying to do was um now that this was uh, shortly after the cartoon had gone off the air, uh, largely because Power Rangers was outpopularing them. And they said, so, okay, let's make a new Ninja Turtle show, except it'll be Power Rangers. So they just tried to create a new Ninja Turtle show in the mold of the Power Rangers, and uh, surprisingly to no one, it totally didn't work. <laughs> It just seemed cynical. I think that everybody kind of understood that. That it was yeah. more about marketing than anything creative. Mm-hmm. Whereas not to say that the original cartoon wasn't um, a toy commercial. It, to- it totally was. Um, but it also came out of something. It came out of the original comic that had ideas to express. And it had its own ideas to express. Which it had to do in a different way. But the the next mutation had no ideas to express. It purely just wanted to make money. I think that you can have something that is a toy commercial if it's an awesome line of toys that still has artistic integrity, right? Whereas like ripping oh, yeah. off somebody else's successful property is a different – it's like a, a lower cut of cynical mercantilism that uh, yeah. is, is not going to catch on as well typically. Right, exactly. I mean the turtles have a lot of imitation built right into them, but they're uh, – they're a pastiche of things that their creators care about rather than an attempt to ape something that's making money just now. Yeah. And I mean, and that's when you're looking at the comic, I think. When you're looking at the way that I experienced it, which was as the TV show, the video game, and the toy line, like, I didn't know about any of that stuff. Like, I don't think that I, I was particularly aware of the X-Men. I probably knew they existed, but I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about the, uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as like, oh, well, that's what being a mutant would really like, really mm-hmm. be like. I was thinking like, that one has like a plastic nunchuck and that one has a plastic sword. And like, they have all of these other little different plastic things. Uh, so many accessories. And that was the, the part that like, that really came alive for me that and like pizza, which was the best food as I knew at that age. Oh yeah. Um, and, and something about that theme song, which is, uh, I still have, you know, very catchily in my head to this day. Oh yeah. It's probably the best cartoon theme song ever. Um, <laughs> It was, you know, it was, it was actually, this is something interesting that I learned, like, far too late. It was written by, uh, by Chuck Lorre, <laughs> the, the creator of, um, of Big Bang Theory and uh, Two and a Half Men. <laughs> what? The back in, yeah, back in the 80s, he wrote, he wrote the Ninja Turtles theme song. Oh, my God. I know. And wait, and he had the Bare Naked Ladies do the theme song for Big Bang Theory rather than just... Yeah. 
Oh wow! Well, rather just than just himself. using the we rather than just using the Ninja Turtles theme song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, I want to loop back. You know, when we're talking about um, you know the Ninja Turtles being a commercial for toys, it reminded me that uh, in spite of the name of the show being Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it is in fact marketed to sort of that preteen. At least the um, the TV show was marketed towards the pre-teenage, like the young boy, pre-adolescent boy, right? And that probably speaks as well to the gen- general lack of sex or romance in, um, in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles stories that we're most familiar with. Again, those from the TV shows and uh, and the movies. Um, is this basically part and parcel? And I'm mostly uh, directing this question to Matt, but also the rest of the panel. Is this most? Is this part and parcel with this? Um, uh, the phenomenon you find in marketing where something that is uh, ostensibly for teenagers is actually for that age market that's below that. From what I understand, like Teen Vogue magazine is actually read by preteen girls, sort of like in setting an aspirational thing up for young viewers to say that, oh, when I'm a teenager, someday I will be cool but rude. Are you are you <laughs> saying just because I, I've I've done a podcast about uh, teen soap operas on the Overthinking It podcast network? Uh, I'm an expert on all teenagers and preteenagers and tweens and uh, that market. Why, yes, I am. Are you <laughs> saying claiming anything other than that? No, no, absolutely. <laughs> There's uh, th- though though now recently I've become an expert on authenticity and punk music. Um, the. Uh, uh, yeah, well, it's right. It's aspirational, right? And you you look at the you look at the version of you look at the version of teenage dumb that is uh, ex, uh, put forward in the show, right? If it, if it's awesome, it's for pre teenagers. If it's a drag, it's for actual teenagers, right? Like think of all the John Hughes movies. Uh, being a teenager is. Um, Associated with a certain amount of fluidity of identity and a certain amount of uh, kind of temporary as opposed to permanent uh, nature of the choices that you make in life, but it's also a drag. It's it's a uh, it's a detention room. You know the teenage years are. It's it's uh, you know it's fake. It's um, it's temporary as opposed to permanent. It's it's uh, uh, trivial as opposed to consequential. Right. But um, it, from the point of view of being like ten or eleven. You know, teenagers have a party wagon, for God's sake. <laughs> they can go places, you know. They can, right? And, and uh, uh, you know, may, maybe you're not sort of ready to, to um, mentally address uh, the, the, your sort of budding sexuality and the, the um, vicissitudes of, like, uh, life as regards girl turtles and stuff, magical powers, because they, see, they all seem to have magical powers, you know, and you don't, you don't totally comprehend uh, their effect on you yet. And so the sort of the non-sexuality of it is, uh, you know, is, uh, uh, I think, sort of not the point, right? It's the point is that you have so much more agency, uh, as a, as a 16 year old than you do as a, as a 10 or 11 or 12 year old, that it just seems like it, it seems impossibly cool. Well, I also think, you know, in a rather depressing way, that the the April Turtles dynamic is an accurate portrait of a certain kind of incipient male uh, sexuality, you know, mm-hmm. where, like, women are these glamorous creatures in skin-tight yellow leather, and you are a beast, a hideous beast, slimy, <laughs> not even fully human, and at the most, perhaps, she will, like, let you be a friend, you know, 
and allow you to save her from harm and from even, <laughs> even, even grosser monsters. And then like the 30 minutes will be up and you will go back to your, your hole in the sewer and eat some pizza. Oh man. Nobody friend zones Leonardo. <laughs> Dude, everybody friend zones Leonardo. It's like Leonardo's thing. Well, well I think it's it's the, the Leonardo character with his particular internalized notions of honor friend zones himself with the world, you know? Yeah. Um, it's it's not insignificant that it is Raphael who has that flirtation with the Mona Lisa character. That's all yeah. I'm saying. And, and you only ever really friends on yourself. It's not really something that anybody else does to you. It's a state of mind. But that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, it's, let's not have that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, it's great we had that conversation and edited it out of the podcast. <laughs> I mean, now on this podcast or ever on overthinking. Speaking of saving April O'Neil from other more horrible monsters, now can we talk about Bebop and Rocksteady? Yes. <laughs> and how they're black? Yeah, right? So what's going on there? Well, they're black. Well, only, only Bebop is black. But, what? Rocksteady's uh, clearly black, right? No. He's literally dark-skinned, right? Well, oh, I, he's a rhinoceros. But, I mean, originally, when they were, like, in their human versions. Wait, wait, oh, wait, 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 wait. Rocksteady is the rhinoceros? I had them backwards earlier. I take back my question of the week. <laughs> <laughs> no backseas on the overthinking a podcast. The way to remember it is that Rocksteady is the rhino and Bebop is the pig, right? I had to teach myself that mnemonic as a child to remember it. That's an interesting thing to not be able to remember. <laughs> they have such distinctive character designs. <laughs> There's nothing Bebop-y about Bebop. Like, he's, he's, he's Bebop, but he's totally new wave. Oh, yeah, he's absolutely with a purple uh, mohawk and... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of looks like one of Biff's gang from Back to the Future 2, right? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. guys. And Rocksteady um, just loves army surplus. Like, he right. has, like, camo pants and a black tank top. So, yeah, so you're right. Bebop was black when he was a human, and Rocksteady was white when he was a human, at least according right. to the comic book. Yeah, but they, uh, but you're right. They're both um, African animals when after they mutate, and they're both sort of black-associated musical styles. Yeah, but they also don't have a lot of agency in whether and what they choose to do with their time. I think that in this sense, Bebop and Rocksteady, the more I think about the turtles as I get older, are really pretty funny characters because oh, yeah. they, they, their job is to be like pretty high ranking in the organization. Again, of this, this, these dual axes of like Japanese vengeance culture from never actually happened in real life and really, really never happened in real life. Uh, interdimensional uh, brain, like brain dominated warfare of some kind or another. And it's like, who do they pick to be the sort of main, your sort of chief operating officers, like shield chief field officers, but these like two guys with like, clearly like seemingly no education or training except a helicopter license right like (laughs) rock city has a helicopter that's pretty much established but other than that they don't really do they don't really have any training or skill to do any of the things that they're told to do like lead an army of robots and or an army of ninjas Right, like, well, they were just or ninja robots. Like they can't, they don't have any. There's nothing about Bebop or Rocksteady that leads you to believe that they should be doing this. No, right? they absolutely shouldn't be. They're completely incompetent. Yeah, um, <laughs> but they were they were the first ones to volunteer. Yeah, that that, that really <laughs> is just it. Yeah, um, the you know the they were working for the Shredder and uh, the the turtles humiliated them. And Shredder says, "Hey, do you want to get back at those turtles who humiliated you?" And they were like, "Yeah, let's sign up." And just by virtue of being mutants, Shredder expected them to be kind of formidable, and it turns out they're not at all. 
Yeah. <laughs> and and their own experience, like they are they're comic relief characters. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, and and it's their experience is the experience of anybody I think who's enlisted in some sort of monolithic institution that they don't entirely understand because they needed a paycheck or because it was the most expedient thing to do at the time, right? And it's it's like they don't even ever really stop and say like why are we here because I feel like the question would be too dangerous, like they feel like they would have to leave and they would be killed if well, they yeah. had, or actually leave and go that. leave and go where once you've yeah. been mutated you know what do you do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is really about the African American experience in America. Like, you can't just stop being black, right? Like, you can't stop being African American. You can't like disregard the disadvantages that uh, accrue to you out of the systemic and de facto and de jure racism around you. You know, and like if you find yourself in a situation where you've got like kind of a crappy job or a job with people that you don't like, you know, like there's not really a ton of options necessarily, right? Like. Certainly yeah. not as many as if you're a, a you know a privileged upper middle class Japanese immigrant well, rat. Pete, this is um. this is <laughs> <laughs> it's a model. It's a model species. Um, yeah. The the, uh. the uh, <laughs> you know I, I, this is America, Pete. I thought we reward hard work and gumption and and taking personal responsibility for all the the failures of of society around you. <sighs> Look, when the evil shredder attacks, the turtle boys don't cut no slack. And <laughs> I don't think that the capitalist economy. No, but that's a good point. Is that what is the relationship of the Ninja Turtles with America? Uh, they are. They don't talk about America a lot. Um, they, which is fairly rare among superheroes, right? It's a fairly yeah. explicitly anti-capitalist show, I would say. Mm-hmm. You know, um, with like the Technodrome is sort of as corporate as uh, as turtles ever gets, and like you have. Um, I guess you can say Bebop and Rocksteady are sort of like the face of corporate dronehood, and that doesn't seem nice. Baxter Stockman's whole backstory is that he's sort of like someone who corporate America has done wrong in a way. Um, you have Casey Jones, who I guess runs a sporting goods store and then only finds validation by taking those sporting goods and using them to sort of smash up the place, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Rat King is like a whole deal that I don't want to go into. <laughs> well, Would I think you say the turtles it's a whole which a rat king lives that you don't want to go into? Jordan, no, <laughs> didn't want to let that go on. Um, yeah. well, I mean, the turtles live completely outside uh, all economic structures, right? Like, they don't have anything. They don't really produce anything. Their labor is not of any use to society. And um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing the monologue at the end of Death of the Salesman. Like, no one judge this turtle. A, a ninja doesn't put pen to paper. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't build a building. <laughs> <laughs> you can't eat the cheese and throw away the crust. A man is not a piece of pizza, right? Like a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> but the, but the, the, that's the interesting thing is though the turtles do have important points of intersection with the capitalist economy, most notably ordering pizzas from. <laughs> the pizza place yeah nobody knows where they get the money for that yeah although it's not outside the realm of possibility they could acquire it because it's not a lot right like it's not like oh no how are they going to afford all those pizzas that those six people need to eat right? yeah, like maybe true. they but need I to mean, find ten dollars yeah they kind of they have to subsist on sort of the detritus of what's what they can scrounge right yeah. they yeah. don't have they don't have anything they don't have jobs they don't have um they don't have any regular source of income or uh or any you know f- friends that they can borrow or crash on the couch 
you know they kind of are really in it just for them just for themselves that's sort of the big another big contrast between them and the x-men it sort of shows yeah. two different ways you can live outside the capitalist system one of mm-hmm. them is to have like a little a little piece of heaven carved out for you by old money Right, like yeah. which is like you get to explore art, you know, like you can do whatever you want because we're yeah. paying for it, right? Yep. And it's like you go to your Westchester boarding school, and the other one is to just be to just be somebody who like never like responds to the letter that says you need to pay your bill, right? It's just, to be like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like not have an address and just sort of like be a homeless drifter, which is kind of what the Ninja Turtles are. Yeah. Is, uh, yeah. We were talking about like what is the zeitgeist, the current zeitgeist, and I think it is basically people misunderstanding which of those categories they fall into. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whether you're in the, whether you're at, in, in the uh, Charles Xavier School for Gifted younger, Youngsters, right? Like, whether you're, whether you're in the Ninja Turtle sewer layer or you're taking the class in Ninja Turtle sewer layers that is taught at the Charles Xavier School. <laughs> right. It's the, uh, the grad school is going to protest against the 1%. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I gather there is a new um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, film coming out. I've seen the same trailer that everyone else has seen. Um, I, I don't know. Did you guys have thoughts or, or uh, reactions to it when, when yeah, you I, saw it? So I have a couple, and then probably should toss it to Richard and get his take on it, or the rest of the panel as well, for that matter. Uh, so I tweeted this out after I saw the trailer, which I did not like at all. Um, in this Ninja Turtles trailer... Megan Fox, who plays April O'Neil, has no speaking lines and faints at the end. Hashtag strong female characters. <laughs> well, she's, so that was because Megan uh, Fox's specialty: strong female characters. You know, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's really cornered that market. Um, the other take that I had on it was that just the whole thing just uh, rubbed me the wrong way for some reason. Particularly the part where one of the turtles takes his mask off as a, in some way to. Uh, make him less intimidating and more approachable to April O'Neil, um, where in fact just taking the mask off just makes uh, makes her faint. Uh, and, and that moment was just so jarring and uh, uh, not with uh, my preconceived notions of what Ninja Turtles were like that uh, it just really took me out of the moment. Couldn't do it. Huh. Richard, what did you think? Um, it wasn't as bad as I was afraid it was going to be, although that's not saying much. Like, the original script that leaked was so terrible um, that when when the script leaked, they actually stopped production and realized, wait, we have to completely, you know, page one rewrite on this. They were about to begin filming, and they had to go back to, go back to the drawing board. Yeah, this is the one um, where the turtles were aliens, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And... Um, it's interesting that everybody cared so much that Michael Bay had to stop production. Hmm. I think but, the th- oh, go ahead. No, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say my quick reaction to the trailer was that um, it seems to be of great consequence that people discover the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. And maybe that is just them trying to sell you the movie. But it seems like in this story, everything that is involved in the Turtles' mythos and personal history is something that, like, it's really important that the world know about it. And it's connected to TGRI and the ooze and all this stuff. And it's, like, this really weighty... Now, the Ninja Turtles... 
they survive in anonymity largely because it doesn't matter whether anybody knows about them. Nobody cares about them. You know, they, that's, that's sort of their shtick, and that's yeah. where their freedom comes from. That's what, that's what makes them teenagers, right, is that they're overlooked by adults, yeah. right? And, and as such, they're able to live somewhat of a private sort of re- – private, fight their own private battles. Yeah, they're completely the subaltern. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, like, if all of a sudden the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were like, oh, they're the chosen ones that need to fight the, the monsters, it, it, I think it, it takes away from them a lot of their capacity to be funny. Um, yeah. and, and I think that's unfortunate. Um, but, you know, and also, I don't know, it's, uh, it's different, and I don't like things that are different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, who does? Uh, well, that's, that, that's because you're, you're part of the society, man. Oh no, this mutagen is changing me. Oh, I fear change, <laughs> especially into a lizard. <laughs> well, it seems like we have a problem we're going to have to deal with here at the, the OTI drome. Uh, but uh, <laughs> if you would like to uh, put in your two cents um, uh, into the pizza fund uh, about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you can email us, podcast at overthinkingant.com. You can call 203-285-6401 or leave a comment on the show notes for this episode. Uh, also going on in Overthinking It this week, the Eurovision Song Contest is is uh, ramping up, and we are producing videos that are our reviews, so you can find those on our YouTube channel. Um, if you search for YouTube on, uh, search for Overthinking It on YouTube, uh, you'll find that. You, I suppose you could also search for YouTube on Overthinking It, but I don't know what you would get then. Uh, find us on YouTube. And we're also uh, continuing our Game of Thrones recap series hosted by Pete Fenzel himself. Hi, kids! my Game of Thrones. Hi, Game of Thrones! And in, 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 in the next episode, King Joffrey shouts, Cowabunga, dude! Oh, man. <laughs> I love uh, the King... I have the King Joffrey on tour cassette. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> crossbow and subterranean, crossbow in. <laughs> T- teenage asshole ninja monarch. <laughs> heroes in a... Right, heroes in a uh, long robe. Lannister! Um, <laughs> those, uh, those are also uh, broadcast live on YouTube and... Uh, and we put them on overthinking it as well. We're trying to do this appointment appointment podcasting thing. So Monday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, uh, you can catch the live streamed video of the Game of Thrones recap. And then it's available as a YouTube video and as an audio podcast uh, and as a post on overthinking it. Almost too available. It's almost too available, right? I, you're, you might take us for granted in this relationship because we're, we're almost too considerate of your needs um don't don't pod shame <laughs> so the uh uh that those that's on monday nights and you can get that uh and we'll be back next week with more overthinking a podcast it remains only to thank the panel and especially richard thank you very much for your no, thank you guys for your uh your tome your contribution to the the turtle literature and uh, for coming on and talking with us about it. You can get Richard's book, obviously. And, hey, if you're, you're going to buy it, we'd appreciate it if you did it through the affiliate link on Overthinking It. Uh, so not only do you get a fantastic book, uh, but also support the site a little bit with uh, the kickback that they give to us for uh, linking through to their site. Um, more podcasts next week. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny 
it, it, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. Cowabunga, dude. Should we sing the theme song, you guys? Can we sing the theme song? Here's here's the thing about the theme song. I like yeah. that when Raphael is cool but rude, he says, "Give me a break," right? As <laughs> as though he he alone could hear the theme song and respond to it. <laughs> Actually, yeah, he was the one who was always uh, he was the one who did the meta stuff in the in the show. He would talk to the camera. It's a great moment in uh, in Turtles Forever when yeah. the the 2003 Turtles. He does it in in the the cartoon, and the 2003 Turtle says, "Who are you looking at? There's <laughs> no one there." You know, <laughs> which is nice nice meta shaming there. <laughs> okay, let's do it, guys. All right, one, two, three, four. Two.